0: Hey friends, welcome to the field guide to particle physics. This is your informal guide to the subatomic ecosystem that we're all immersed in. Today we are talking about the gluon. The forces of nature are communicated by particles. Electric charges push and pull on each other with photons. Protons and neutrons communicate by pion exchange. How this works involves a bit of mathematics, but a rough analogy often used is two ice skaters on a frozen lake throwing bowling balls back and forth. They push each other away. That's a repulsive force. This is all well and good for particles zooming freely through space. But how do we deal with quarks that are locked inside those protons, neutrons, pions? How do they communicate with each other? The strong nuclear force, the fundamental force behind the subnuclear junk that we find inside the nucleons, is communicated via a particle very similar to the photon. You'll have to excuse their name, however apt. The particles that communicate between quarks are called gluons. Yes, as in glue. Physicists are nerds. Like the photon, gluons have no mass. They are just little packets of nuclear force energy. Unlike the photon, gluon communication is a mess. Photons only communicate between particles with electric charge. Gluons communicate not only with quarks, but also amongst themselves. And that's why nucleons are so messy inside. The quarks throw out gluons to communicate, but those gluons also throw out gluons to communicate, who also throw out gluons, who also throw out gluons. Any quark or gluon can receive a gluon. Rather than a nice orderly dialogue between a couple of particles with a photon, the nuclear force is a boisterous mob. The force that binds this mob together is really quite strong, whence the name, the strong nuclear force, and this is good because it keeps all that gluonic madness contained inside those neutrons, protons, and pions. The strong force equivalent of electric charge is called the color charge. If electric charges come in a spectrum from negative to positive, the color charge comes in three distinct spectra, each from negative to positive. For lack of a better name, these three color charges have been called red, green, and blue. <laughs> As you might have guessed, subnuclear naming conventions are pragmatic to a fault. Atoms like hydrogen are electrically-neutral combinations of positive and negative electric charges. One positively-charged proton and one negatively-charged electron. Pions are like this too, and come in pairs like red, anti-red, or blue, anti-blue, or green, anti-green. And so too are the antipions. Big hadrons like protons and neutrons and those delta baryons are special. Here, the three quarks each have a different color, red, green, or blue. To join together, one of each color must be present. Like incandescent light coming from a light bulb or the sun, sometimes we call this combination colorless. Antiparticles like antiprotons also have all three anticolors, which also counts, I guess, as colorless. To be clear, this has nothing to do with light, or actual colors. It's just a mnemonic physicists invented to explain how a three-dimensional system of charges work. Color charge gives us a simple explanation for why protons and neutrons communicate by pion. These composite particles are also colorless. So their internal structures, all of that infinite mesh of nuclear gluon goo, are essentially isolated from one another. In other words, the mess of color charge condenses to form colorless droplets, and those droplets happen to look like nucleons or pions. Like water, that condensation happens when things cool down. Unlike water, the temperature for quark-gluon condensation is extremely high. So high that the universe only really experienced temperatures that high for the first few minutes after the Big Bang. It's a temperature that amounts to an average energy of 246 MeV per particle. That is, roughly speaking, twice the mass of the pion. Experiments have achieved these temperatures in the lab and have essentially observed the melting of nuclei. Finally, you might wonder why there are three colors and not four or five. Hey, physicists also wonder about this, and so far we don't know the answer. There are plenty of models that could explain why we have precisely three subnuclear color charges, but all we know is that three colors fit the data. A fourth color would mean that protons would have four quarks each. It may be comforting, however, to know that the basic results of physics are mostly independent of the number of colors. A strong force with three, four, or five colors can, in principle, be pretty similar particles would still condense into colorless combinations although the precise details would depend on the number of colors and the number of quarks and so on. Nevertheless, basic quark gluon modeling software like Pythia are essentially agnostic about the number of colors present. This has been an installment of the Field Guide to Particle Physics, a copyrighted production of the Poseidon Institute. Thank you so much for listening. For a full, free, online copy of the field guide, please visit our website at pesaitin.org or follow us on Instagram. We've got a lot of other resources for you there. At the Pesaitin Institute, we're on a mission to build and share physics knowledge without barriers. Come learn with us.